You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. All right, so we're, we're just going to jump right in, and, and let me say this. It's a, it's a long psalm, so we're not going to get into all of the nuance of it. Um, we're going to look very briefly at what I, what I think David is trying to accomplish um, based, on, based on not only the content, but the location um, of this psalm. And so there's going to be kind of three, three movements, if, if you will, right? Um, the first thing we're going to look at is just God's, God's infinite glory, and then we'll look at God's everlasting kingdom, and then we'll look at God's unfailing mercies. So let's jump right in. We're just going to look at these first nine verses, and, and I'm going to read them again because, again, my, my concern this morning is not so much um, uh, walking through all the nuance so much as it is us just observing the, the words of praise that David lavishes upon the God that you and I get to call Father through Jesus. So this is what it says. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So real quick, let's just walk through that so that we know what we're reading, so that we know what David is saying about God, right? He, as you can tell, has spared no adjective, right? Has spared no adjective to call to our attention the infinite and the matchless glory of God. He tells us that God is king, right? That he has authority, that he is currently reigning. He tells us that God is great and not just a little bit great, but unsearchably great, meaning that he is great beyond our capacity for rational thought or inference. Meaning that no matter David's use of adjectives, no matter our continual and ongoing endeavor to produce words and hymns and songs that would characterize his greatness, he is unsearchably great. He is above those attempts, as good as those attempts may have been. He tells us that God's acts are mighty, right? And not just an act, but all his acts, that in creating the world, in sustaining the world, and in, of course, now us looking back, we can see through Jesus his act of redeeming the world. We see that His majesty is a glorious splendor, that His deeds are awesome, meaning they produce awe in us. So not, right, like this is not, I went to Taco Bell and I had the seven-layer burrito and it was awesome, awesome. It's like, 
I'm, I'm looking out over the Grand Canyon or I'm standing at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and I'm looking out and it produces awe in me in that in that moment I recognize my smallness in comparison to the grandness of where I call home. It tells us that God's fame is His abundant goodness. Abundant meaning He has more than an adequate supply of admirable qualities and moral behavior. That's goodness. Tells us that God is righteous, that God is gracious and merciful. Gracious meaning that he dispenses undeserved gifts, and merciful meaning that he withholds deserved punishment. Tells us that he is slow to anger, right? Which his grace and his mercy mercy are evidence of, right? That if he is actively giving gifts that people don't deserve, and if he is actively withholding punishment that we do deserve, that he is slow to anger. He tells us that God abounds in steadfast love. And this this abounds word means that there's an, there's an abnormal amount, meaning, meaning an amount that should not be there of this steadfast, of this loyal love, right? Meaning that he loves when all reasons to do so are long gone because he is love and his love is without condition. It tells us that he is good to all. Why? Because his mercy is over all that he has made. Again, if we, rem- if we remind ourselves of the definitions of grace and mercy, there's a reason that he excludes grace from this particular, this particular verse. Because he can actively say that all of that that he has made is, is worthy, deserving of his punishment, and yet he is withholding it. Where when it comes to grace, all of us have received some measure of grace in that we have life and that we have breath and that we have health currently and that we um, have provision. But in terms of his ultimate grace, his matchless grace in Jesus, we will see that that is ultimately reserved and we'll see that um, a little bit further down. So this is God's infinite glory put on display for us in just a short nine verses in which David is looking at all that God has done, all of his kindness, all of his goodness, all of his power, all of his dominion, and he's saying this is who God is. This is his nature. This is his character. And now he's going to go on to describe his kingdom. So we've seen God's infinite glory. Now we will see that God's kingdom, like its king, is glorious and everlasting. Verses 10 through 13 read like this. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So this kingdom over which God as king rules, in many ways, 
mirrors his likeness, right? In that it is glorious, in that it is ruled in power, and in that it is everlasting. Here's what's wonderful just to to ponder upon for a moment there, in in that one, there even is a kingdom that is everlasting, but then that two, that there is a God with the ability, with the, the nature um, to reign over that kingdom and to do so perfectly, consistently, and constantly. In that the king with no end has a kingdom that also has no end. So if we've seen God's infinite glory, we see his everlasting kingdom. I think the question is this. If you were this great, this powerful, this majestic, this incomparable and unsearchable, and if your kingdom was this powerful, this glorious, this everlasting, what would you do with it? And I think if we just take a cursory glance at history, um, you, you could probably see that, that just generally speaking, the most powerful people in the world have leveraged their power in, in many different ways, but most of them headed towards the same direction, which was either towards their own glory and good or towards the good and glory of those whom they deem worthy of it. And often we have seen them wield that in ways that entailed subjugation of some kind or the, the utter destruction of those who would oppose them. And yet this is where we see the, the, the truly revolutional nature of the kingdom of God. The truly revolutional nature of God Himself in the way that He leverages His infinite glory and His everlasting kingdom. Because God leverages His infinite glory and His everlasting kingdom both to and for us. Psalm 145, 14 through 20 reads like this. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Let's just walk through this nice and slow. This infinitely glorious God, this everlasting everlasting, powerful, and great kingdom, God says, or, make, or David makes this turn and says, 
that has been leveraged for our good. In that God upholds all who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down. So this should sound familiar to us. This is Jesus in Matthew 5. It says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' inaugural sermon in the book of Matthew, in, in the very introduction of his inaugural sermon in the book of Matthew, Jesus is proclaiming to us what life underneath the rule of this infinite glorious God and his infinitely glorious kingdom is like. In that in his kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord upholds those who are falling. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. In the next verse, it it tells us that, that God opens his mighty hand and that in so doing, he satisfies the desire of every living thing. Further on in that same sermon in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord is giving, uh, the Lord Jesus is giving the people uh, a, a reason or making a case for why they should not be anxious in that, that they should not be worried. And in it, this is what Jesus tells the people. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Psalm 145 goes on to tell us that he is righteous in all his ways, meaning that in all that he does, he is unimpeachable. There's no accusation that we could bring for which there is not a satisfying and right answer. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and yet that can be combined with the fact that he is kind in all of his works. That his abundant love does not get thrown out the door with his righteousness is one of the the things that makes God so unsearchably great. Because he's enacted his righteousness upon Christ instead of us. 
And then finally, it goes on to tell us this, that the Lord is near to all who call on him, not just to all who call on him, but to all who call on him in truth. So when Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is inviting us to experience the very nearness of God in that truth is a person. In Jesus, we can call on God and he will be near, not just by his spirit, not just through his word, but through his people. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And then it says that he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And often in the Old Testament, when we read that word fear, we think of something a little bit different than what is actually intended um, by, by the original translation. In that when we, when we, when we read fear, we read um, uh, like a, a fear based on, based on penalty or terror. And yet what David is saying here is that he fulfills the desire of those who reverence him. He fulfills the desire of those who know all of those previous things that David just made clear for us, that God is great, that he is unsearchably great, that he is mighty, that he is majestic, that he is merciful and gracious, and that he has the ability to extend that graciousness and that mercy to you, and in fact has done so in spite of the fact that you never asked for it. says he fulfills the desire of those who reverence him because what, what that means is that if you're a person that reverences God, that means you value what he values. And that means ultimately that he's going to provide what he always intended to provide. You just got on the same page. And then it tells us that he hears their cry. And he saves them. Right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Then it tells us that the Lord preserves all who love him. Right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, get this, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You are, you are preserved because the Lord has chosen to do so. The Lord preserves all who love him. You could read it the same as, as this verse. The Lord is faithful to complete the good work which he has begun in you. He preserves those who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. And I know that that kind of... <laughs> changes the whole mood of, of everything that we've been talking about and that we've been talking about 
God's glory, His greatness, His kindness, His majesty, His mercy, His graciousness. How He upholds those who are in need. How He is near to those who call on Him. How He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. But there is some comfort for those of us who who love the Lord and whom the Lord is actively, currently, right now, preserving by His grace. In that this frees us. This frees us from the, the, the not from the pain, right? But from, the, from the, this reality being our ultimate reality in that we know we belong to a good, gracious God, and we've been added into a kingdom that is everlasting and that is ruled in power and in greatness and with righteousness. And so, this is where we get the power, one, to not be anxious. And it's also where we get the the joy involved in not having to be concerned with vengeance. Because everything that is unjust will be met with a judgment. And that judgment will either be cleansed in Christ or it will be made right in the glorious and righteous kingdom of God. There will be no despotism. There will be no unfair trial. There will be none of those things because in all of God's ways, He is righteous and in all of His works, He is kind. That is what characterizes Him. So, with the knowledge of God's infinite glory, His everlasting kingdom, and His unfailing mercies displayed and given to us, we can then give God the praises due Him, right? In season and out of season. This is what verse 21 says. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. This is ultimately David's response, right? in light of all of these things, in light of all that the Lord is, in in light of all that God's kingdom is, and in light of all that God has done for you, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Now here's what I want us to know, and this is ultimately where where, where I wanted us to get to um, and, and what I meant by kind of the difficulty of the past couple of weeks, right? Um, in that we've kind of talked about what it, what it means to be uh, single and part of the family of God, what it means to be a married couple and part of the family of God, what it means to be uh, a parent or a child and part of the family of God, right? And, and I think um, in, in all of those stations of life, there are wants and longings that we feel like are not met. I think the temptation for us is to read this psalm as, as uh, it, sort of in isolation, right? In that it's got a number, there's a beginning, there's an end, boom, it's there, it's a hymn, right? So it's a, it's a song, so it, that's it, that's all there is to it. 
And yet, I, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that this is, this is the, the, the capstone, right? The, 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 the last psalm of David's on, this, on this, this sort of pyramid of truth that he's been building. And these words and this manner of speaking and this conclusion that David arrives at does not characterize all of, all of the psalms that he has written. And so I'm just going <laughs> to read a little bit um, from Psalm 143. This is David again. And he's saying, hear my prayer. Give ear to my pleas. Enter not into judgment with your servant. The enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. My spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me. Deliver me from my enemies. Bring me out of trouble, my soul out of trouble. So here's the thing. David, obviously, his, his mood is, has changed somewhat from Psalm 143 to Psalm 145. And, and yet I think there's something... Uh, really glorious in, in, in going back and looking at, at verse 2 of Psalm 145. It says this, it says, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So here's the thing. There's a lot of us in this room that because of the last the last several weeks of preaching, because we've had some of our wants, some of our desires exposed and laid bare, and those have not been sort of fulfilled or, or met yet in any tangible way that, that, that we feel, many of us are sitting in a Psalm 143 reality. And that many of us are pleading with the Lord. Many of us are asking, Lord, either either meet this need or remove it because I'm, I'm tired of living in this tension. Be gracious to me. Be kind to me. And what David is saying in Psalm 145 is that even on a Psalm 143 day, he will bless and praise the name of the Lord forever and ever. In that it is in that response of praise, it is in that place that we actually experience the Lord's nearness. We find our desires fulfilled, not just by Him, but in Him. And it's in that that we find ourselves actively, lovingly being preserved. So, brothers and sisters, even if your reality feels Psalm 143, Psalm 145 is the balm given to you by the Lord himself through the mouth pen of David. And so this morning, my, my hope, my real hope, is that as we take communion, and I'm going to set it up for us here in a minute, 
is that, is that as we take communion, as we sing songs of worship to conclude the gathering, as we speak the benediction out loud, not just to ourselves, but to one another, as we do those things, that we would actively be giving God the praise that is due Him for His infinite glory, for His everlasting kingdom, and for His unfailing mercies that He has enacted, leveraged, upon you at no cost. And so I, I, I want to end like this. How should we do that? How should we do that? How should we give God this blessing, this praise of his name? What should that look like? The key is in verse 3, and it says this. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Meaning, our praise for the Lord should be commensurate with His status. Meaning, meaning this morning, in, in, in whatever way we, we, we manifest that, it should, be, it should be great praise, because the God who is receiving it is Himself great in the way in the way that we praise God in the way that we use our words in the way that we declare even with our physical bodies the greatness of God he receives great praise and then i think there's this and and for those of you who would who would prefer to remain silent uh during uh, during things like the responsive reading the benediction things like that Let's just, let's just take a look at, at all the different words that David is going to use um, that, that connote or even require a, a verbal, out loud proclamation of the goodness and the glory of God. I will extol, I will bless, I will praise, I will commend, I will declare, I will speak, I will pour forth. We are to verbally and with authority proclaim the glory of God because it is true. So brothers and sisters this morning, I, I pray that um, the, the reality of Psalm 145 would swallow up, for, even if it's just for a few moments, that it would swallow up the, the, the realities maybe that you experience of Psalm 143 this morning that you would soak in the infinite glory of God, the everlasting nature of his kingdom, and the unfailing mercies that he has bestowed upon you, and that as you do that, that those needs, that those desires would be met, not by him, but in him. Let's pray to that end.